Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is Jesus' genealogy, Tamar and Rahab. Now, here's Pastor Chris. Good morning, everybody, again. Let's begin with prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for another awesome day, Lord, that you have blessed us with and the opportunity to be able to come together and worship you. As we study now, open our eyes, Lord, as we look at some difficult, challenging chapters, Lord, uh, we know, though, that there is a lot of good that we're going to discover. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Jill uh, Caratini tells of a story where there was a woman, I believe her name was Melanie, and she was a nurse. And as she was walking outside of her apartment, she noticed that in the trash bin, there was a very old and broken down cello sitting in the trash can. And you're thinking, who would throw a cello in a trash can? Well, she called her boyfriend over, He, being a cabinet maker, thought, huh, what if we turn that into a CD rack? Tells you kind of how old the story is. But uh, he thought about it, man, this would make a really good CD rack. And yet she thought, there's got to be something more to this. So she looked, she took a picture, she saw the name, she called and found out that this wasn't just any cello. Because there were only 60 made, and it was old. At the time, it was 325 years old. This was not just any instrument. This was a world-class instrument. So much so, it had been stolen from a musician who played in the L.A. Philharmonic. And as you look inside, she saw the signature of the individual who made this. And inside the cello was a signature of Stradivarius. Now, some of you, that just may be a name. But as a child, my sister and I took music lessons. My, my sister was a violinist, and I was, obviously I took guitar lessons. And we had the same teacher. And I learned that day that Stradivarius was unquestionably the number one violin maker in the world at the time. And still to this day, you will not find another sound quite like Stradivarius. Don't know how. Scientists and musicians have tried to figure it out. Stradivarius stands above all else. So a $3.5 million cello broken and busted down, laying in a trash bin. To me, that breaks my heart as a musician. This cello had value. And now, the thief, not knowing what kind of treasure was in their hands, had given it up and thrown it into a trash bin, thinking it was just any other cello if they even knew what a cello was. Value. To be in the presence of a Stradivarius 
is to be in the presence of something great, whether it is recognized or not. When you hear Stradivarius, there is none other like it. The fact of the matter, though, is we are also just as valuable and important, just like a Stradivarius. The thief put it in the trash pile, and even Melanie at the time when she first saw this couldn't even comprehend what was before her. When we look through the scriptures, we find, uh, especially Jesus says in Matthew 13, treasure hidden in the field, and he describes a merchant looking for fine pearls. And I love the fact that God is a treasure hunter, searching and looking for his pearls. As we begin, we're going to look at the life of Jesus, and as well, more importantly, before his life and where he came from. So I haven't included, but if you got your Bibles, let's go to Matthew 1, 1, 1. So bear with me, okay? You're going to wonder why are we doing this. There's a purpose to this, okay? All right. Are we ready? Okay. Gustavo says we're ready. <laughs> this, is ge- the, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Joham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, (sighs) Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of exile to Babylon. After the exile, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All right. Let me catch my breath. Thus were the 14 generations from the, and all from Abraham to David, and 14 from the David to the exile of, to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, when we read all of those names, right, you would think, where's the gospel in that? There's just a bunch of names. Quite the opposite. There's a lot of value. Because, especially for for Jews, heritage, 
they could date, they could name everybody who was their forefather. And it was very important to know and be remembered. In fact, um, you know, when, when the, when Israel and the Hebrews went to, to Babylon, they had to come back. And if you could not say and prove your lineage, you were on the out on some of the benefits of when they went back home. Who you were, where you came from, and who you who your lineage was was important. But within this lineage, there's a couple of names, or maybe not even mentioned, but referred or inferred to, that normally should not have even been there. Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, Ruth, and Mary. You see, as I indicated, sorry, Matthew's gospel is written primarily to a Jewish audience. But it was uncommon for women to be included within the genealogies itself. And especially, too, when we find that most likely Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba were most likely born as Gentiles. So Jewish gospel before Gentile women included in the lineage of Jesus. Praise God. Now, some of you are probably thinking, why praise God? They're just their four names. They have a part in the story and the plan of salvation. And that God is going to use these women in that they're going to be part of the journey. So today we're going to talk about Tamar, and Rahab, some of you know their stories a little bit, and you're thinking, Pastor, should you be preaching this? Yes, I'm going to take kid gloves with this, but we're going to get to the essence. And then next week, we're going to talk about Bathsheba, Ruth, and Mary. All of these women, for the most part, except for Ruth, there's some kind of scandal associated with them, Okay? They're all attached to some scandalous behavior. When we look at Tamar, Tamar was essentially abandoned and had to fight for what was right. Okay? Now, what I'm about to talk about was, let's just put it out there, customary for that time. It doesn't necessarily translate to, par- translate to, parent, uh, to present day, okay? Because some of you are going to be thinking, is that behavior acceptable for today? No, it was a different time, different culture. So if we go back to Genesis 38, we'll find that Judah, Judah was a son of Jacob and one of the 12. They had a brother, a little brother, who would do little brother things, like tell his brother what to do and how smart he was and that he knew things. And the older brothers, like myself, maybe got a little bit of resentment. But Judah was different. Those of you who don't know the story, in chapter 37, Joseph, little brother, second of the second uh, to youngest, his brothers sold him into slavery. Judah was the only one who kind of put up any objections. Guys, brothers, this is our brother. We can't do this. 
Well, they went ahead. When Judah finds out, he leaves his family and he goes to another area. In fact, he leaves his brothers. He went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hurrah. And it's there that Judah meets uh, the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and they had a son. The son was named Er. He named him, probably as well, maybe kind of concerned as well about his genealogy, wanted to make sure that he had that good Hebrew name. She then also had another son named Onan. And yet as well, she had a third son named Shalah. So Onan and Shalah, she named. And it was at Kizab that she gave birth to him. We find that Judah gets a wife for Er, his firstborn. And her name was Tamar. But as we read the story, Er was a naughty boy. And eventually you find that he dies. Now, at the time, it was customary that if a son or somebody died, it was a husband's brother who would take on the responsibility to care for the widow. Now, Onan knew, however, that if he was going to take on this responsibility, his child, essentially, he would not necessarily be able to call his own. So, I guess the best way of saying it was he, uh, he liked the benefits but did not want the responsibility. And we find that he, too, passed away. So that's two sons that Tamar has been with. And yet Judah's thinking, huh, should I really give her to my third son? And he's still young, so what does he do? He says to Tamar, go back to your family, and when my son is of age, you can marry him. Well, time goes on. She goes back home, and Shalah has definitely, he's old enough, and yet she's not given to him. Time is going by. It was important to not only have kids for the lineage to continue the notoriety, but as well, who was going to care for her, especially if it was a son, could be able to protect her. This was a society that was very patriarchal, unlike today. Women didn't have a lot of rights back then. Their status in society was not like it is today. So much so that basically Judah, probably thinking, I don't want to lose my son, is just going to ignore her. Well, as time goes by, Judah loses his wife. And he as well is sad and maybe looking for consolation, he's going out with his friend, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to shear sheep. And sometimes when they would do that, they would have a party and they would be going. And when Tamar hears about that, she changes out of her widow's clothes, changes into different clothes. <coughs> and unbeknownst to, she put her veil across her face. She looked like a prostitute. And when Judah comes by, he sees her, doesn't recognize her, and he basically, you can go from there, what happens? Well, it happens, and he doesn't have any money because it was probably unplanned. So he says, hey, I'll give you a goat. I don't have it right now, but I'll send it to you. So she asks for a pledge. 
In fact, she asks for um, staff, uh, the cord, and the, uh, the signet. And so the next day, he sends his messenger, probably because he doesn't want to get caught, doesn't want to bring more shame. And when the man gets there, his friend gets there, he can't find her. He asks, where's the prostitute that was here? She's not here. There isn't a prostitute that normally hangs out here. So he goes back and he thinks, he finds out, oh, okay, well, all right, let's just put this behind us. But he's not able to do that because three months later, guess what? She's pregnant. Doesn't sound like the Bible. It sounds like Jerry Springer, right? Oh, man. Lord, I apologize. So Tamar is accused. And what does Judah say? Well, it was, was tradition back there. Let's burn her. Oh, mercy. Well, he calls for it. And when she finds out what's about to happen, she sends a message to him. And she says, look at these. The father of this child owns these three things. And so she gives back what he had given her. She didn't have to say anything because he knew what had happened. And he recognized. And as well, if... Uh, sorry, if I also forgot to mention as well that if the father, it was the responsibility of the father-in-law if the son could not to care for the daughter-in-law. He finally realized that she, above all, was even more righteous than him because he had neglected his duty to care for her. And so much so as well. There, there's, there's some, there's even some... Uh, when you look at it, he gave her, what, a staff? He gave her a, a cord, all signifying, in some ways, kingly, earthly, a kingly, king, attributes of a king. He was the Messiah. The line was going to come through Judah. And Judah himself had ignored that responsibility by going to and marrying a Canaanite woman. And we see... When we stray from God's path, when we stray from God's leading, and we decide to do our own thing, what happens? It's not an easy road. And you'll find that Judah, he lost two sons, he lost his wife, he gets himself into this horrible predicament. And yet, if he'd stayed faithful. But regardless, what we find as well, though, despite all of that, God still, he recognizes the wrong that he had done. And out of that, two sons, Perez and sorry, Perez and Zerah are born. And Perez uh, is the one where the line continues. And so Tamar had to fight for what was right. In a sense, she felt abandoned. Have you ever felt abandoned? Whether it be by your own family, maybe even some of you today have been disowned because you chose to follow a different path, even within the church. And for that, for those of you, I'm sorry, if you've had to experience that, know that you have a church family here who loves you and cares for you. 
even though you may have been, maybe your family doesn't talk to you anymore. I'm sorry, but know that you have a church family here. So Tamar fought for what was right. The other thing, too, in Jesus' lineage, we find another story in that of Rahab. Rahab isn't mentioned anywhere else other than in the lineage and then also in Joshua, too. So we assume that that it's her. And for Rahab, who is Rahab? Rahab was... (laughs) I was a prostitute. And... Joshua had sent two spies. After Moses had died, they were going and God was leading them through the path. And they were going and God was leading and they were conquering um, two other places God had allowed the Hebrews to overcome. And when they get to where, uh, when they get to Rahab, where they, when they get to Jericho, they know about these Hebrews, these Israelites who are coming across because they know that God is on their side. And so Joshua sends two spies out to survey the land to see. And when they, they're in Jericho, Rahab protects them. And she sends the, the, king's, uh, the king's men on a wild goose chase. And so she says, hey, look, I know you guys are coming. Please promise me because I have protected you. Please spare me and my family. And the spies promised her that they would. And so uh, after the men had left out, had gone out by, uh, in the evening, I believe, he low- she lowers them down because she's on the wall and her house is on the wall. She lets them down. She tells them to hide for three days. And then after the three days, the men will come back and then they can safely get back to the camp where Joshua was. And so we find that she as well knew that there was a God out there who was bigger than herself and bigger than the ones that maybe she had perhaps experienced. She, at great risk for her own life, shielded and protected God's people. And if you go to Hebrews, uh, she is listed as well in the hall of faith. Rahab, though, you know, she was, a, she was an actual prostitute. And by her profession, she basically was taken advantage of. There was no intimacy. It was, there was a fee transacted. And much so, more than likely, she was probably an outcast. But yet she was faithful. And God as well used her in the plan. I wouldn't say, I don't want to say used, but she was part of the plan of salvation. The beautiful thing is that God is good and that in life and ministry, the fact of the matter is life and especially ministry is not always clean and clear cut because life, no matter, you can try to plan it and everything, but at the end of the day, it's most likely not going to go the way that you expected, right? Okay, you want to you wanna go to school and, and you learn, and then when you start working, oh, it is not what you expect. Truth be told, when I became a pastor, it was not what I expected. 
It's even better. (laughs) But I'm not going to lie. There were some challenging times where I asked, Lord, why? Why? But God is faithful. You're going to come to church and you're going to find people are not clean and clear-cut and perfect. Praise the Lord. Because ultimately, brothers and sisters, we're sinners, we're broken people, but we have a desire to know who God is and worship and be in fellowship and united together. We are called together to share the good news. And whether that's here or on Lakewood or Florence or uh, uh, Telegraph, wherever we are in our homes, in our school, in our offices, in the grocery store or the post office, God can do amazing things with broken people. Life can be messy. And yet God chose to pull the sleeves up and get to work. And sometimes that means that in discipleship, that means that we as well, it's not always going to be easy. There are going to be challenges. But we go by faith and by patience and discipleship and by fulfilling what God has called us to do, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to allow God to work in our lives. All things are possible. As we have discovered, the Bible is not G-rated. And yet, the Bible is honest. The Bible is clear in that God's God calls his people and he equips them. doesn't call perfect people. He equips the people. So when things don't go your way or the way you expect it, that's okay. Be faithful. Continue to pray. Continue to study. Continue to follow God's leading. So unbeknownst to these women, they played a part in the plan of salvation. In fact, we find that all this took, uh, this is Matthew, Matthew 1. All this took, sorry, uh, Matthew, yeah, 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came into this earth as a babe, a baby, dependent on Mary and Joseph to care, to nurture, to love, and to protect. What kind of God does that? A great God. And yet we find as well that God as well is still working on our behalf. I mentioned earlier a little bit about pearls. Especially in the first century, pearls were very valuable, so much uh, so that they were probably just as valuable as a diamond. Because pearls, you couldn't just necessarily go. The big ones were deep, sometimes as, as, as deep as uh, 40 feet, and most people back then were, were afraid of the water. But the good divers would tie themselves sometimes around with a piece of rope, and they'd get, get a heavy rock. They would hold on to the rock, and they would jump into the water from the boat, and the rock would propel them down to get down there faster so they could have more air to breathe, right? And they didn't have lights. They didn't have flashlights like, flashlights like we do now. So they would have to 
go around and try to search, hold their breath as long as they can. And then when they found one, they would grab it and they would shoot to the surface. Dangerous job. So much so that I remember reading about a story as well that took place, um, I think, maybe 30, 40 years ago where there was a, a diver who he and his son, that was their profession. I believe they were somewhere in the South Pacific. I want to say Fiji. And the pastor was out with the man on the boat. And eventually they got back to shore. And the diver went into, I believe, his, uh, his, the building or house, wherever he was. He came back with a present. And he gave it to the pastor. And the pastor, he opened it up. And he looked at this pearl, and it was the most beautiful pearl that he had ever seen. It was shiny. It was magnificent. And he said, sir, I could not take this. No, it is a gift for you. But, sir, this is too priceless. No, this pearl is the one that my son got. He dug, he dove deep, and he climbed. But on the way up, he died, just as he was about to, he passed out, and he didn't make it. And he gave this pearl on behalf to this pastor, because the pastor had done a lot of work, and the man appreciated what he had done. And when the pastor realized the gravity as well of what the son had done, he could not take this for granted. He accepted the pearl, knowing what great cost had come about to get this pearl. God does not take his pearls, his treasures, lightly because even his own son died for his pearls. And much like the treasure hunter that I talked about earlier, God is seeking, God is going after and looking for pearls. And as well, God calls us to go out and to help search for and find those beautiful pearls that God wants to bring into his church that they may also know the good news and be able to share and go and find other pearls. Pearls are not just something that, especially for a first century person, they're not just easily thrown away. They are valuable. We are all valuable. And especially in Tamar and Rahab's stories, to be honest, it's, you know, I would probably feel embarrassed Yet God, even in their situation, God was able to make good. And where they were able to be a part in God's story. God can use anyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I love this part. This is the best part. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. As we journey together, as we head towards Christmas, I love Christmas. But let's not take for granted and miss out on the real reason why we're even celebrating this. As you go to parties, as you spend time with your friends, and maybe you're going to unwrap presents later, 
may we be reminded of John 3, 16 and 17. And I'm going to argue, let's not just make it one-time event a year, but be reminded daily of this great event because we sometimes think, yeah, it happens once a year. But if you really think about it, the magnitude of God coming into this world, that should blow us every day. Let's not take that for granted. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. And Lord, as we continue in journey, as we we look at your genealogy next week, as we look at Bathsheba and Ruth and Mary, Lord, may you lead and guide us and help us to understand uh, how, Lord, you intervened and acted in their lives. And that yet, Lord, as well, we are just as precious. And that, Lord, you can use us to share the good news to others. So as we go forth this next week, keep us safe. Lord, give us opportunities to minister. But as you do so as well, equip us with the words or the actions to be able to do ministry for you. Thank you for all that you have done, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace, everyone. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.